Hello and welcome back to the Pulse Podcast, the podcast of the resident doctors of British Columbia that deals with all things residency in the beautiful province of British Columbia. So I am your host today and my name is Jeff Frost. I'm a third year resident in physiatry here in BC and today I'm joined by Mr. Harry Gray. Harry, do you want to say hi? Thank you so much for having me back, Jeff. <laughs> it's great to have you back, Harry, and under such wonderful circumstances. So if anyone doesn't remember, Harry is the uh, the executive director of the Resident Doctors of BC, so he helps lead the union. Well, he leads the union, doesn't help. You lead the union. And Harry, we have you back here today to talk about the collective agreement. So I guess we just recently came to a tentative agreement with our employer, with the Health Employers Association of British Columbia, and now we're on to the stage where every resident gets to consider the agreement, consider whether it's right for them, and vote on whether they wish to adopt it or not. So we were hoping you could give us a breakdown of what exactly is in this new agreement and whether or not it's good for residents. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. I'm really excited by this collective agreement, or tentative agreement, rather. Um, I think we've done uh, very well in a number of areas, um, and... Uh, in terms of explaining it, I think we need to go back to um, the surveys that we talked about, I think, in the last uh, podcast that we had. We're um, going into negotiations. We had four main areas that we wanted to talk about. One was the compensation for residents. Uh, second was the cost of residency, which is really the kind of the flip side of that. So if you reduce your costs, it's almost like getting a wage increase. Um, the third area was uh, wellness and occupational health and safety. And then the fourth area is uh, language clarity in the collective agreement. And that really uh, was around areas that we saw that people weren't fully understanding what rights they, they have currently because the collective agreement is just not as well written as it could be. And I'm really excited because we've been able to make uh, big strides in all each one of those areas. So, Yeah, yeah I've, ha- I've had a chance to look at it myself and I'm Really excited for what you're about to talk about because personally, kind of, I guess, spoiler alert, but for me, this deal exceeded what I thought was the best possible deal we could get. Like this, this exceeds my best case scenario. So I'll be voting yes, but hey, we'll let Harry explain why you should vote yes too. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, well, I, I agree with your assessment actually. So let, let me take you into the details. So the first area, uh, broad area was compensation. It's a three-year collective agreement, uh, and that's uh, standard. We've talked about the uh, PSAC, which is the governing organization for all of the uh, public sector bargaining. So PSAC is Public Sector Employers Council, and they set a mandate each year. And we've got what is under the under the mandate, which is a three-year agreement and a 2% uh, annual increase in each one of those years. So that's a 6% increase across the three years. Compounded, it's actually, for those of you that do the math, it's uh, 6.12, I think. Um, but we should also note uh, that uh, you got, everyone got a 1.75% increase on February 1st this year. So in other words, in two months, uh, it's a 3.75 or three and three quarter percent increase this year. Uh, and that actually, we were trailing uh, the rest of the English-speaking provinces in terms of pay rates. Um, that plus the 2% on our uh, annual um, salaries starts to close the gap significantly. Um, in fact, uh, if you look at the Alberta Collective Agreement, um, they 
uh, we're going to be more or less matching. I think we're $100 off or something like that in 2020. So their collective agreement expires in June 30th. And our end rate, uh, albeit in 2022 but the, and theirs in 2020, are going to be almost identical. So we're starting to catch up, and, and uh, I'm, I'm very happy to see that. Second area, so that's on straight salary, but we've got quite a lot more around um, how much people have been making or will be making. Second area is call stipends, and we've got a lot to talk about here. Uh, so the first is that there's going to be a 20% increase to the call stipend rate. So the uh, out-of-hospital call rate uh, that was $50 goes to 60 and the overnight in-hospital that was 100 goes to 120 And so that's going to be for every shift. Um, and those rates become effective in uh, July of this year, so the next academic year. Um, above and beyond that, so just all the 60 and the 20, uh, 120 go into effect. On top of that, we have $1.8 million to spend um, through a committee structure to look at how we're dealing with call scheduling. And so those areas where we think that uh, this committee thinks that there's the money should be spent uh, better has $1.8 million to, uh, to apply. And then that money carries forward into the uh, future years. So that's really exciting because I think there's a lot of things that we can do to make the, the call scheduling better. There's a couple of things, uh, other things around the cost of residency. Um, we've taken the meal allowance and uh, applied it to other areas of the collective agreement, so you'll see that uh, going. And then we've increased the amount of, of um, master chief and resident uh, chief resident pay. So there didn't used to be a master chief pay rate. That's sort of the, the chief of chiefs, if you will. We've also expanded exactly how the chief resident, uh, administrative resident pay will be going. Harry, if I may, I just want to highlight some of that call stuff because I think that's so key. One of the things I heard over and over again from my co-residents was they felt that they weren't getting paid for the work that they were doing. And one thing we really tried to address with call was make sure that if you do the work, you get paid. So we've rearranged how call gets paid so that if you do the work, you get paid more. Call stipends are going up 100, sorry, by 20%. And then we also have that $1.8 million committee that will help pay out extra funds to residents that do more call. Now, we can't promise how it'll be spent, but we do know it's going to go to the residents that do call. So for me, this is a huge win. It, it is a huge win. And boy, I don't want to get too down into the details because, uh, you know, when we printed out the tentative agreement, it was uh, almost exactly 100 pages long. So there's a lot of detail in here. But I, I want to make it clear that the 1.8 is on top of, of the increases. But as well, if we don't find ways to spend it, which I, I think we will, but if we don't find ways, that money still gets distributed to residents at the end of each one of the academic years, very much in the same kind of process that's in the contract right now. Right, yeah. But, I mean, takeaway... Pay is going up to the point where we're pretty much on par with Alberta, and we're moving towards becoming on par with some other jurisdictions as yeah. well. Yeah. So a step in the right direction. A step, for sure, a step in the right direction. Now that's just on compensation. So now let's turn to uh, the costs of residency. Um, there's a, a number of things that have uh, come into the collective agreement now. So um, the first is CMPA coverage. Now this is for 
uh, type 12 uh, people. That That is um, those residents that are um, working as residents. Um, there's a type 14 that's not covered, uh, and we've heard from many of the residents about that. Um, type 14 is those people that uh, pick up extra shifts. Um, and when the government did uh, put in this policy change, and it's, it is a policy change as opposed to a part of the collective agreement, when they put in the policy change, they were specific to type 12, and uh, that's something that I think we need to continue to work on. But right now, the vast majority of uh, our membership are going to have their CMPA fees covered, and that's huge because that's yes, that was a lot of money. CMPA is a big cost. Yeah. And I think what you're referring to with that type 12, type 14, is if you do the um, CAing or the clinical associate work, so that's picking up extra call shifts, usually in your later years of residency, Unfortunately, the government wasn't interested in covering CMPA for that at this point in time, primarily because the work that a CA does is outside of the collective agreement. It's covered by a different agreement. I think it's really important that we recognize that getting CMPA type 12 coverage, so CMPA coverage for the vast majority of residents, is a huge financial win. I know personally I paid my own CMPA for the first three years of residency, and it's a drain. You know, it's a big drain. It's a big cost. So I was really happy that the government recognized that it's something we need to do work. I have to show up with CMPA coverage or I shouldn't be working, uh, and it's very expensive. So I, I really appreciate that uh, they recognize that and came to the table with a solution. Yeah, yeah I totally agree, and, and it does cover um, almost well, most of the membership. Um, the next area is long-term disability. Uh, in this past collective agreement, that has been mandatory, but something that each resident has to purchase themselves. Um, we've now uh, brought in a plan that will apply to everybody, and that, again, is starting in July 1st uh, so that we can capture the incoming year. Um, I know that many residents right now already have insurance, and what they should be doing is looking at whether or not they want to maintain that or um, and keep sort of both insurance, the ones that, that uh, is coming in as well as their own, but that's an individual decision. Now everybody will have LTD coverage. Yeah, I think we should just dwell on this because I've heard a lot about this from my fellow residents. And the way I like to think of this LTD plan is it's kind of the Obamacare of insurance. Everyone's going to have a basic level of insurance now. If you choose, you can purchase other insurance on top of that at your own cost. Because of my own personal life situation, I'll be very upfront. I will be buying extra insurance on top of the LTD, but it's a personal decision. It depends on where you're at in life. The important thing, though, is that everybody has some, because I know we had some issues before where some residents did not have LTD or didn't have complete LTD coverage and then unfortunately got sick. And when you have $300,000 or $200,000 in debt from medical school, that's tough without LTD. It's hard to get over that financial barrier. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and certainly um, uh, I've spoken to residents in that very situation, and it's uh, it is truly tough. Um, moving on, uh, the next thing is um, the um, uh, professional expenses uh, benefits, so-called PEB, P professional expenses benefit. Um, right now, the collective agreement has two things that sort of look the same. One is professional expenses benefits for R1s and R2s, and that was $1,000. And then uh, the second thing was a payout of the surplus um, of call stipend funds, um, uh, and that would go to R3s and up. And that amount really depended upon how much call was worked by the entire membership. 
And that would be a varying rate, obviously. Uh, every year there would be different amounts of call. Um, it's been as low as $750, and it's gone up from there over the, over the years. Um, what we negotiated this time was $1,000 for every resident. So every year, every resident will be getting the professional expenses benefit um, of $1,000. And as I talked about a little while ago on the $1.8 million, if there is a surplus in that uh, fund, um, as well as the regular call stipend pot, um, then that gets distributed um, amongst all uh, of the R levels. So we've changed the mechanism a bit, but we're not losing, we're, and we're improving that benefit and putting some guarantees in for everybody. So it gets really technocratic here, but I want to explain one point of this because I, th I think it goes back to that question of getting paid for the amount of work that, that you do. So you said before we had a, a certain amount of money to pay for a call. We didn't use it up every year, and the excess of that got split between every resident that was R3 and above. That's right. We took that extra money that was getting split up, and we used it to pay for increased call stipends. So if you, if you worked a call shift, you get paid more to do that call shift instead of splitting up that money amongst residents who may or may not have worked call. We also then negotiated on top of that this new... PEB to be extended from R2 all the way up to R7. So this is a pretty big net win again, in my mind. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's it's a net win. And it's it's nice because, you know, there's some certainty to it yeah. uh, so that you'll be able to count on it every year and uh, put it forward to those professional expenses that you do have. The next area, uh, sort of main area, so we've done compensation on costs. Now we're moving on to uh, occupational health and safety and wellness. Um, this is an area that I think has not uh, been nearly focused on enough. Uh, and at the negotiating table, we spent quite a bit of time talking about uh, this area and how it can be improved for uh, residents. Uh, and we've come out of that with a, actually quite a lot of things. One is, um, starting with this year's incoming R1s, there's going to be a, a full day of uh, occupational health and safety orientation. Uh, and that's going to happen prior to the, their uh, starting work, the R1 starting work, and that's a day paid day. In addition to that, we've got a number of committees, and I'll talk about these committees in a separate section, but we've got a number of committees that's going to be addressing occupational health and safety for, for residents. Next area is um, protected exam leave. So in the current collective agreement, it simply says you get reasonable travel time if you have to go. Uh, one of the things that we talked about uh, at some length at the bargaining table was there's uh, working in BC, and particularly if you're working out of uh, Kelowna or Prince George or Victoria, um, to get yourself to Ontario to take a Royal College exam, um, or if you have to come down to do the LMCC or the uh, family practice exams um, from Kelowna or, or Prince George, it actually can take a fair bit of time. And, and in addition, when you take the Royal College exams and you've got to deal with the time zone change, we really wanted to make sure that residents were able to, to get to their exams and put their best foot forward. So what we've done is to put into place um, an assurance that you'll get two days um, prior to the exam and one day following the exam um, for travel time, if you're going to the Royal College exams, which are in Ontario, um, and then if you're traveling by air or sea, um, coming down to the LMCC and family practice ones, you get one day 
uh, before and one day after. Uh, obviously, don't need quite as much time to do that. So we've now got that into the collective agreement. Um, we've also extended maternity leave. Uh, so it used to be that uh, maternity leave was a maximum of 12 months. Um, and uh, we've now moved that up to 18. Um, that's pretty much what the, the federal standard is uh, and um, other provincial um, uh, groups get. Uh, but we now have it in our collective agreement. Uh, and then uh, the last thing is, and this is another one of the Ministry of Health um, policy initiatives, uh, so which is really outside collective bargaining, um, but they, they've set up a fund for resident engagement, and uh, that fund is a half million dollars over the uh, length of the collective agreement. We've already started to get uh, some emails around how the uh, government wants to to look at that, uh, and we're, or the Ministry of Health anyway, uh, we're very excited to have that uh, money coming forward because I think it's a recognition that, um, you know, engaging residents and, and having them stay in BC at the conclusion of the residency is very important for the province. Uh, so I'm happy to have that there. Now, the fourth area that we talked about, so we've done cost, compensation, and occupational health and safety and wellness. The fourth one was language clarity. Um, this is where a, a lot of work was done um, that um, is truly technocratic, uh, as you say, yikes, it was... So we, we have... Uh, <laughs> I hope we don't go into too much... I was part of this, so I hope we don't go into too much detail here, but the one thing that that kept me up at night was that it was so difficult to read the collective agreement as a resident before. And now we're getting to a point where, as I hope, uh, a resident, I can read it, understand it, and enact it. Uh, that was our objective. Um, we, uh, we made, uh, I think I counted uh, 33 changes to the collective agreement. Um, there's two really big ones. Um, so one is um, the call language. Um, and before, I think call language was spread in a number of memorandums and a number, a couple of articles in the collective agreement. We've now pulled that all together and put it in sequential articles in the collective agreement. And that should make it much easier to figure out what's meant to happen in call. Yeah. Um, similarly, um, maternity leave, maternity and uh, paternity leave uh, was spread in several different memos and several different places across the collective agreement, and it was very difficult to figure out what I was trying to say. Those of you who are longtime listeners will remember our maternity series about eight months ago, and I don't know how long I spent reading the collective agreement trying to figure it out, but it was it was many hours. Yeah. Like, it, it was just so hard to read. It was, it was terrible. Um, but I think we've made huge improvements in that area. Um, and you'll see it when it comes out. What we've done is to take a completely different approach to um, trying to describe or to describing um, what benefits there are to uh, different categories of residents. And we've simplified it a, a great deal. Mm -hmm. um, next thing is we've, uh, but we've also cleaned up some other things that were just um, things that were so unclear in the collective agreement. So one is uh, the parking reimbursement, um, you know, who you take your parking chips to. And certainly we uh, heard from a lot of residents that it was just frustrating because it was always somebody else's problem. We've nailed that down as to what, what uh, who's responsible for it. And then my favorite one in all of this is um, vacation and call. 
in the current collective agreement, what it says is you get the your call protected the uh, weekend before. Uh, sorry, I need to say this in a different way. You're not meant to be on call the weekend before or after vacation. And there's two ways to interpret that. Either both before and after vacation, you shouldn't be on call, or you get one or the other. The intent was that you get one both the weekend before and the weekend after. And so that little change from or to and in the collective agreement completely clarifies what's meant to be happening. That is, you're not on call the weekend before or after a full week of vacation. And I just, I just want to highlight for the residents who are not deeply involved in this like you and I, it's crazy how much a single word as simple as and versus or or where a comma was placed can totally change the meaning of a sentence. And we spend hours combing through the collective agreement, cleaning up these ands, ors, commas, semicolons. So, yeah, if you ever want to have like a rockin' good Friday night, <laughs> join the negotiations yeah. committee. <laughs> yeah, welcome to my world. Um, now, I was so that's the four major uh, things that we um, uh, we tackled in collective agreements uh, negotiations, and I'm um, happy to report that we did uh, we got something in every one of those categories, and I think have done very well overall. Above and beyond that, I want to talk about some committees that have been formed because I'm I'm actually really excited about where these are going to take the resident doctors uh, of BC over the next uh, several years, and I think we'll have a lasting impact. Uh, so one of them is the group that we've already talked about. Uh, that's the $1.8 million in the working group on call workload and scheduling. Um, and that's going to include reviewing not only call and workload, but also vacation and flex days and loo days. And it really looks at kind of the whole picture of, of uh, how residents um, are working. So that's one group. It's going to include UBC, HABC, and ourselves on it, and I'm really excited about where that's, that thing's going to go, that group is going to go. Uh, the next committee is recruitment and retention uh, of residents, and that's, again, focusing on what can be done to improve um, the retention, recruitment and retention of residents in BC. And that's got a number of people on it, so it's going to have UBC and the Ministry of Health and the Rural Education Action Committee uh, and Joint Steering Committee on Rural um, Affairs, I think is the last one, the doctors. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people on that committee, but it's really aimed at how can we uh, uh, recruit and retain residents. Um, next one, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but uh, we've got three committees coming out of the Occupational Health and Safety area. Uh, and um, there's different aspects um, that each one of them have. Attached to one of those committees is a $30,000 a year fund to do studies on occupational health and safety. So we haven't decided yet what exactly what we're going to be doing with that $30,000 each year. Um, but it's going to be things to look at um, uh, the occupational health and safety matters that affect residents. Um, and then the last one is a um, commitment from health employers for to sit down um, and talk about where the residents, uh, BC residents' compensation, uh, broadly described compensation, that's the compensation and costs, fit within the rest of the um, uh, Canadian jurisdictions and be able to really articulate with them and come to a common understanding about where it is we sit relative to the rest of Canada. And again, I'm excited about where that could be taking us. 
So Harry, I, I will admit I zoned out a little because these committees sound super boring. But <laughs> the the important thing for us to understand as residents is that if we want to change the way residency works, this is how we do it. Yes. So if you're frustrated with getting overscheduled for call, if you're frustrated with having to work post call, this is our chance to actually make a change. And and it was something I didn't realize. I thought we could make those changes in negotiations, and then I had my eyes opened and realized that over time. As, as you know, technocratic as these committees sound, they might actually be the most important thing we gained in this round of negotiations because it allows us to address some of the systemic problems that we encounter on a daily basis as residents. I, I absolutely agree. And, and, um, I, I think it sets us, uh, sets resident doctors of BC up for some, um, longer term changes, um, I think this collective agreement has gone a long way to address many of the things that are um, presenting issues right now. It hasn't fixed them all, but we've, you know, we've made great strides uh, in in improving the collective agreement. Um, but in addition to that, we're also starting to uh, down the path of really understanding many of the things that affect residency and how we can be improving the the residency experience. And I'm excited about these, uh, many of these improvements because I think it really sets us off down that road. For sure. And shameless recru- recruiting plug. It's, it's good to get the committees, but we actually have to do good work, hard work in the committees themselves. Absolutely. And, f- and for that, we need, you know, dedicated residents to join our board. If you've ever thought of joining the board, if you've ever thought, you know, I could help make residency a better uh, experience for everyone and have a desire to do that, elections are coming up. And we are always looking for motivated, smart, empathetic, passionate people who can help us make the changes that we're trying to make. Love to hear from you. (laughs) Yeah. Join the board. (laughs) Um, So, Harry, I think that brings us to the whole voting process. So any thoughts about that? Ah, so the the voting starts uh, this this week. I think we put out the vote um, uh, on March the 29th. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is Friday, and it's going to remain open until uh, April the 14th at midnight, which is the f- uh, two weeks plus a weekend. So it goes out on Friday, and then it closes on a Sunday, April the 14th. Um, it's uh, going to be done through election buddy, which means that uh, it's completely confidential, uh, no way of knowing who voted what way. Um, hopefully you all vote in favor of this tentative agreement because I think it's fantastic. Um but um, uh, no way of uh, it's going to be completely anonymous. Um, you'll be able to do it on your cell phones, uh, which is nice because you don't have to find a computer to vote or, or even even worse, have to put in a mail-in ballot. Yes, there are. They still use the mail on some occasions. Um, so uh, that's going to be coming out on March the uh, 20, excuse me, March the 29th and uh, look forward to it. Yeah, and I, I, Harry, you won't be voting, I guess, but I will. And uh, maybe I'm not supposed to sway the membership. I don't know, but I'm going to do it anyway. So like I said at the start of this podcast, I, I was part of the negotiations committee, as some of you may or may not know. I can't stress enough, this is a really great deal <laughs> because it's quite a large increase uh, in average salary for the average resident. Uh, so please vote. Um, the, uh, this tentative agreement, um, uh, has been, um, 
agreed to by the bargaining committee, and they they're wholeheartedly uh, recommending acceptance of it. Uh, and as well, um, the uh, board has reviewed it, and they are recommending acceptance of it as well. Um, and there's, I think that was a unanimous vote. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that or not. Well, we've said it now, and uh, I'll, I'll add a verb there because we recommended it. But I think I can summarize the board's feeling in saying that the board strongly recommends it. This is a good deal, guys. Let's vote yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Harry. Um, so thanks for coming. And uh, I guess this will be our last negotiations podcast update. So uh, I guess I get to go back to playing volleyball. So thanks for coming, Harry. Just in time for summer, Jeff. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye for now, guys. 